I love gaming because it has introduced me to the most interesting human beings that I've ever known in my entire life. Gen Con this year, I'm sitting next to Dave Gross, I'm at the Paizo booth, I'm signing copies of my novel, and a woman comes shrieking out of the crowd and punches me right in the ribs and screams sneak attack at the top of her lungs, causing her boyfriend, fiancé, husband, I'm not even sure, to fall down laughing. He'd been acting as the distraction. There's some people who, they're famous and you want to buy them a beer. There's some people that they're famous and you want to hang out with them. I'm just famous enough people want to punch me in the spine and scream sneak attack. That's only because of gaming. There's, there's, no, there's no other way that that ever could have happened. I've devoted my entire life to it and I love every moment of it. My name is Clinton Boomer. I am the Gamerati. Gamerati.com It's good to be a gamer. This is the Vorpal Network. This episode of The Tome Show is sponsored by Gamerati. It's good to be a gamer. And listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon store. Hi, I'm Eric Scott-Devy, author and writer in Forgotten Realms, and you're listening to The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome Book Club for February 2012. The Tome is a D&D news review and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Tracy Hurley. And I'm your co-host, Jeff Greiner, and in each book club episode, we discuss one D&D-related novel, spoilers be damned, in full book club style. And our book for this month is Shadowbane, or was Shadowbane. It, ha- it is Shadowbane. It is being Shadowbane. And later on, we're going to talk to the author. We got mm-hmm. Eric Scott to be on, and we had a chat with him. And we had that chat live in the Mixler chat room, so a bunch of you have already heard that part, and it was awesome. More of you should join us. We have figured out how to get that going again with some technical snafus, but we're working on those. Um, so people should totally be checking that out. And I did my best not to swoon. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> you are known to uh, to squee at certain at at the mention of certain people. Yes. So should we go ahead and jump right into it? Let's talk about Shadowbane. Shadowbane. I'm gonna let you go first. Let me go first. Well, you've read it twice, so you're the expert, right? <laughs> you know, you might think that. <laughs> and you've read all the previous books. Yeah, I read uh, Down Shadow. I really liked it, but I got lost. <laughs> in, in Shadowbane or in Down Shadow? Uh, in Shadowbane. Really? Okay, tell me why. Um. Well, so Eric does a really good job of... Uh, you, like, you don't feel like you have to know a lot of realms lore, but there's so much stuff in the book that if you don't know a lot of that stuff already, sometimes it can be a little difficult to remember. Like, it, it, made, sto- it made sense as I was reading the story. I was really into it. That all was fine, but at the end of the book, I was like, there was a lot in there, and I can't remember it all, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. There is a lot that, that sort of happens in... in- Develops, I guess, as you go through that. Yeah. I'm curious, if, are there certain specific areas that were particularly confusing to you or that you got lost on? Or is it just sort of this general sense of, I just read this whole thing and it was satisfying, but I don't really know what I read? Well, I guess I kind of had forgotten in the year between reading Down Shadow and reading this book uh, some of the backstory that had happened. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm forgetting her name, The Halfling. The female halfling that... Celica. Yeah. I'd forgotten exactly what happened there. 
um, and just stuff like that. And I remember she was such an important part of uh, the Down Shadow book, but I just couldn't remember exactly what happened to her that they reference in this one. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, and they reference several times that something happened that ended up getting her killed. No, I haven't read Down Shadow. Right, and that's um, why I'm being a little careful. <laughs> right, so so I mean, I but I I sort of felt like I got enough of that to understand. Okay, she died. Toyter blames Kaylin for it, um, and that's about all I need to know. Right, right, and, and, and I think that's all you really need to know. And and she was the good guy. I mean, of of everybody, it's sort of of their of their youth growing up. She was the sort of the moral compass of the group. It seemed like. Right, and and there was definitely in this book a lot of you're in the the middle of things mm-hmm. like Kalen's going back to a place he grew up. So there's already a, and Eric does a really, does a good job of uh, explaining those interrelationships and stuff. But I just sometimes felt overwhelmed, which is this sheer amount of uh, intertwined, uh, how everyone knows everyone else. We had a, a few siblings in this book, at least two. Yeah, siblings seem like a big deal in this book. I, it almost makes you wonder if the author has some issues with his uh, brothers or sisters. <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, because there's Toytara and, and Silica, mm-hmm. and then there's Eden and Kaylin. And mm-hmm. I can't recall if there were more than that. But those are the two big ones that I, I remember. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and then there's the, all the factions... In the town that are, are are working against and with and everything with each other. Yeah, although, you know, I, I did notice, and I, and I really like this, is that I oftentimes sort of felt like um, we were being taken to a place, and I sort of, I, I thought it was very easy to predict. I'm like, oh, I see where he's going with this, and I can see sort of where we're going to be going for the next five or ten chapters. Uh, and then he completely resolves that. In like in like in like one or two chapters, and moves on to something else completely. You know, right? Uh, which I really liked because it kept me interested. It kept me from you know at first you know you get into the first few chapters like oh he's going to go from one faction to the next faction to the next faction until eventually he figures out which faction he needs. Well, no, he figures it out after like two factions or after like the first faction. You know, he figures right. out, he figures out where he needs to go and, and gets it taken care of really quick. And it's like oh I thought this whole book was going to be all about finding Mirren. No, you find Mirren in like chapter four, you know, and then it's all about this whole other storyline. And so he kept me on my toes and kept me interested that way. I thought that was really cool. So right. I thought having all the factions really worked, and and instead of slowly being introduced to them over time as, as he investigated them, you're introduced to a few of them. They play a role for a while, and then the few other ones sort of come in, make a cameo, do their thing in the last few chapters, and then and then you know you don't really need to know much about them because they don't play that big of a role in the story. Right. So there. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying that if you don't know all that, this is, I think this might, is this the first time I'm in Luskin? Or however you pronounce it? Um, I don't know if this is the first time you've been in Luskin. Luskin. Um, there have been several Driss novels that have interacted with Luskin pretty heavily in, in recent history. Okay. Uh, I don't know if the most recent one was because that's the only Driss book I've read. So. Then, then no, the, uh, the most recent one was pretty exclusively in Neverwinter. In, yeah, in that area. Right. Um, I think the trilogy right before that involved Luskin quite a bit, and there was one book. Um, it was a Pirate Kings or Pirate King or whatever it was that was all about trying to save Luskin, which which um, this book actually. Um, 
alludes to pretty heavily. So, but the quarantine isn't just because of what's going on, right? It seems like there's more than just the quarantine as to why that city is the way it is. Oh no no! I, I, you know, I get the impression the quarantine the quarantine is there specifically because of the plague that's going right. on. Um, but the quarantine is not the reason that Luskin is such a, a poop shoot. Right. See, these are the things like that I didn't quite know because I couldn't quite distinguish between what parts were from the quarantine and which parts were just Luskin. No, and- no. See, I guess what happens is in Salvatore's novels, um, he breaks Luskin. Okay. And then it seems like Debi then says, okay, now this is what Luskin's like now that it's broken. Okay. So. So I guess uh, there's nothing going on in Shadowbane that's specifically, you know, tying into the, those stories. But you're sort of seeing, now this is the aftermath of that other story. Right. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, and I think the, the big thing is, and like I said, I think Eric did a great job still, I mean, I was totally able to read it and enjoy the story and everything, but there were just so many hints that there was stuff that I was kind of missing, mm-hmm. that I was like, I wish I wish there was, particularly because it's electronic format, I wish there were, like, little links I could click on. <laughs> and you know what? I, I actually, I actually uh, not links specifically, right, but there were a few moments where it's like, hey, and, and I'm a big geek, realms geek, right? I mean, I, right. I, I read a lot of this stuff. And every now and then I'd run into something like, I feel like I should know that. Like, I know enough about it to recognize that this name seems like a name that I should be familiar with. Right. And, I would, and I'd hop over to the, uh, to the Forgotten Realms uh, wiki, because there's a, a, a really good Forgotten Realms wiki out there. And I'd, so I'd hop over there and I'd look something up real quick. So, okay, it's not there. So I think Eric's just, you know, or they, I keep saying Eric as if we we're familiar with him, which we are, but... <laughs> we're talking about the author, uh, uh, you know. So I, I run off as like, okay, well, I think this is you know the author is trying to um, develop something here, um, and maybe it's not just an allusion to an old character from another story or whatever. So yeah, but but I, I but I had to go and look stuff, I, and I did go look stuff up every now and then. Um, but but I like that. Like I felt like I could follow the story, and I knew it was going on the whole time. Mm-hmm. But but I also felt like this story, unlike most Forgotten Realm stories was integrated into the setting and uh, and everything else that was going on. Um, totally. And I, and I mentioned this in the in the interview with with Eric as well that people will hear in a little bit that I feel like this book more than any other book I've ever read before really gets what it means to write in a shared setting. Right. You know, most authors say okay, it's a shared setting. I'm going to find my little corner and tell my story so it doesn't inter- so it doesn't interfere with anybody else. Whereas in this book, uh, Eric seems to take the approach of no. I'm going to acknowledge everything else and embrace it and incorporate it. You know, almost in real time. I mean, we just I just read um, Cordell's book that lead, sort of leads into this from in the Abyssal Plague story storyline. Anyway, um, you know, maybe what a year or so before this one, and so and so it feels very much like I'm reading stories that are being worked on concurrently, but work really well together. Right. I, I sort of and, and and other stuff. I mean, he uses like I've interviewed Ed Greenwood, of course, before, and and I've talked to Ed Greenwood about his use of slang because he creates his own. He's created his own slang words that that people in the Forgotten Realms use, right? And he's explained mm-hmm. why he does that and all that kind of stuff and what they mean and what have you. And, and, and it seems like oh well, that's a really interesting little piece of trivia and canon, and and it's kind of cool, uh, but nobody else uses it. 
Like it almost never appears in anybody else's books. Yeah, well, and I looked up recently something because I was I was doing a some research for a blog post, and I looked up in the Candle Keep they have a whole slang dra- dictionary, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you can see there's notations of where it gets used, mm-hmm. and 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 a lot of the slang it also has like Eric uses here. Mm-hmm. So, no, so. And, yeah, I mean, so he he. He really, I guess the larger point is that he really looks at what other people are doing and Mm -hmm. embraces it and uses it in a way that nobody else does. It's the same reason that when I read comic books, I really like sticking to one continuity and reading really well and reading a lot of it. So, like, you know, I read DC Comics and I read a lot of DC Comics because I like the idea that I'm reading a whole bunch of stories that all have to take place in the same world and interact with each other, even if it's not, even if it's not the same story. Like, they're all self-contained, but they all interact. So what happens in Wonder Woman this week might might make an appearance or might impact something that happens in Superman next week, right? And I feel right. I feel like that's what I get out of this book is that he he really understands the concept of a shared world and em- right. and embraces it. And I, I thought it was awesome. Oh yeah, and no, and, and that's why I, I, I'm trying to say that whatever I'm saying is not a not a reason not to read the book or a bad thing about the book. I was just <laughs> if. For me, as someone new, it's a little, sometimes a little, sure. like, when I got over it, I was like, I probably have to read this book at least three or four more times in order to get it, but, like, get everything. But I'm okay with not getting everything yet. Yeah, yeah, I don't get everything either, and I'm, I'm kind of, get, I kind of, I'm okay with that. I mean, it, it took me, it took me, like, I read through it, and, and I, about, it took me about halfway through the book before I realized that, what the big bad creature was, what Scour was, and to remember that, even though I'd, I'd already I've read the previous book where we introduced to Scour that Bruce Cordell wrote, uh, <laughs> Sword of the Gods, you know, uh, and and even then I sort of blanked on the fa- and, and and he's like he's throwing it in your faces at one point. They go to a derelict Genasi ship that came from Airspur. Yeah. So, sort of the gods happened in Airspur, you know? And so, you know, well, of course that's how the ship got there and why it's derelict. And, and so, I mean, um, you know, but it took me a while. And, and then even then I wasn't really super positive. But then after there's sort of an, uh, an addendum at the end of the, the book that sort of says, and this is how this all sort of fits into the Abyssal Plague storyline. They give you sort of an overview, which I thought was awesome, actually. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was... I I don't know that I that I feel like these are my favorite Forgotten Realms characters, but I think this book encapsulates the kind of Forgotten Realms stories that I want, and is maybe my favorite Forgotten Realms story ever. Okay, I'm I'm telling you, I love this book. <laughs> I love it. No, it's got a lot of like I said, it's got a lot of really cool stuff, and I like Shadowbeing, even the. Sometimes he can be a little annoying, but he's he's pretty yes. awesome. And and I love the fact that he I, so Rhett, we talked about him a little bit in the interview, right? Mm-hmm. Rhett, it's too good and too simple. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, oh, oh, uh-huh. I just want to rub all the white shining white armor <laughs> off of him. Be like, <laughs> he's very, very naive. Yeah, he's like, well, if you keep forgetting my name, then you must be flirting with me. <laughs> Although there are a few moments where, because he comes off so naive most of the time, yeah. every now and then he's real sly, mm-hmm. and, and it's actually a little bit more poignant because he was so naive. Every other time you've you've heard him say anything, you know. Uh, but you're right. I mean, for the most part, Red is 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 very shiny and naive, and it, and stands out like a sore thumb in a in a place like Luskin, right? Oh, totally. Um, you know, I, I will protect you from this shadow thing. Right. The sword I just found on the ground. Right. Well, and 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 you said Kalen sometimes a little bit annoying, and I feel like um, 
Mirren makes a lot of stupid decisions, you know, <laughs> that, you know, I want to be taken seriously and, and as a mature person who can handle herself. And then, you know, at every possible point that she can make a decision uh, about, you know, at least in terms of relationships and, and personal stuff, she does so poorly, you know, right. uh, and Kaylin's not any better. And so, and I feel like they're very immature characters. Uh, but yeah, so absolutely. I, I feel like this is the exact kind of Forgotten Realms story I want every Forgotten Realms story to be. I don't necessarily feel like these are the Forgotten Realms characters I want to see um, everywhere. And I, and, and that, that said, I like them and I like the development they're, they're making and I want to see where they go. Um, but they're certainly not um, my favorite Forgotten Realms characters, even if this is my fra- favorite Forgotten Realms story, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's okay, Kalen. Can't feel no pain. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Which every now and then I, uh, because Kalen doesn't feel pain, right? Um, so, yeah. so every now and then I actually, um, I sort of read that as a good excuse why a, a an in-game character just keeps on going and doing the exact same things without any changes, regardless of right. uh, regardless of how many times they get smacked over the head or stabbed with a sword. You know, they just keep going like you know nothing's different. Right. So Kalen sort of feels like an actual D and D character, right? Because he doesn't feel the pain. He just no matter how many hit points he loses, he just keeps going. I can do this. We can keep going. Yeah. yeah. And it's so I honestly I like that little uh, the pain thing he gets from his sword vindicator mm-hmm. right well but he doesn't feel the pain from the sword right he does sometimes oh okay if, if the sword's really mad at him i thought he occasionally kind of feels it because or I, he sort of alludes to it but i sort of felt like there was a lot more there that i didn't know about because i i, I was guessing it was from down shadow yeah probably but yeah this is like the sword's mad at me oh look the sword likes red why don't you just <laughs> hang out with Rhett for a little while, so I don't really can need you anymore. Well, and and, and that I mean, I guess I should, you know I, I mentioned how he keeps taking, he keeps resolving things quickly and going in directions that I didn't expect. Mm-hmm. He does it in like chapter one, the first time we see Shadowbane, and he's fighting the the guards to get into the city, right? And then he just leaves his artifact sword behind. He's like, yeah, I don't really want that anymore anyway. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I mean, it totally makes sense, and it works, and, and I like it. But it, I'm, as I'm thinking, it's like, I don't care if this weapon hates me. I'm not giving up an artifact you know, willingly, because <laughs> I'm, right. I'm thinking in game terms, right? It's like that commercial with the, the, the uh, jersey for the Coke. I don't watch right? commercials, but okay. Oh, no, it was like from the 1980s. Like, oh, have a drink, and then the football player gives him the jersey. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mean, mean Joe Green that they did. Yeah, play. yeah, yeah. I, I only know that because um, I watch Miracle, the the movie, with my with my students every year. Yeah, uh, and it, so it, it's it, like, here, kid, here, have a sword. It's an artifact that like everyone <laughs> would love to have. But, but, but he, you were good there. But at <laughs> first, <laughs> at first, he wasn't even giving it to anybody. He's just like, you know what? This sword hates me. Fine, forget <laughs> you. And he just leaves it on the ground. <laughs> He's not giving it to anybody. He's just right. abandoning it. Which, yeah, yeah. which is such an interesting choice, and and one that I like. <laughs> like any D and D player would have a really hard time making that choice. And mm-hmm. yet, I kind of wish you would because it's such an interesting choice. Because and it allow, it gives the the DM an opportunity to turn that into another story beat, which Eric does in this in this book, right? Because it's like Kellen's trying to sleep, and oh look, there's a commotion in the alleyway. <laughs> oh crap! There's my sword again! Yay! Yeah. 
<laughs> I you, thought I got rid of that thing. And even then he refuses to take it. No, it chose you. You're a paladin now. You go take it. You do your thing. I don't care. I'm going to fight with these daggers. Whatever. <laughs> so what if I can't go up against... And, and yet, anytime it matters, you notice he ends up with the sword. Right. <laughs> anytime he's going to go and spar with with Sitha, um, or you know, or in the big final climax or whatever, he ends up with the sword, and it becomes a, a big deal. Right. So now I'm curious what's going to happen if they go and um, he meant uh, Eric mentioned in the interview that um, that we're going to see sort of a hunt for what happened to Rhett in the next book, and, and I'm curious that if Rhett isn't dead. Which we didn't see a body, so he could be alive. Um, I'm cu- I'm curious to see, you know. So where's the sword going to go? <laughs> right. As long as both of them are alive, it's always a little bit awkward having the sword around. <laughs> right. <laughs> they both have a bond. They do. Um. I I do like using the whole rat spreading a plague thing. That's pretty cool to me. Yeah, yeah, and did you read the uh, Bruce Cordell's Sword of the Gods book? I don't, I don't think we read it for the book club, so I don't. No, that was that was before the book club. I think that was you know that we did one last sort of episode of of ten minute mini reviews of a bunch of books, right? And I think I reviewed it in that. Yeah, I don't think I, I'm not sure if I read it yet. Okay, sorry, Bruce. Well, and, and, it, and it's a good book, um, and and it sort of introduces that exact same concept, right? Um, as and it's been a while since I've read it, but as as I'm sort of from the reminder I got at the end of, of Shadowbane, I believe what what's happening through most of Sword of the Gods is one of this one of the, this other demon thing is trying to bring Scour to life, and so he keeps gathering all these vermin and things and putting throwing them in a pit. Right, and that sort of is recollecting the essence of Scour. Oh man, I I don't remember which chapter it was, but at one point, did you feel like you're listening to Sattler and Waldorf? With the two rats talking to each other? No, but I can totally see that. <laughs> they're like they're giving commentary on what they're seeing. I'm just well, but it's not it's not two rats talking to each other. It's yeah. it's, it's a a sentient swarm talking to itself. You know? No, yeah, yeah, but we don't know what it is at that point. And mm-hmm. then, but they make it. He makes it seem that it's it's rats. So. Yeah. To me, to me, he did. And, and he, he does make he definitely. Uh, alludes to that that it's the vermin and the rats and the whatever that are talking yeah yeah so yeah yeah but it was just funny I was like totally just commenting on the scene <laughs> <laughs> right on so yeah I really like this book really I couldn't tell I, I'm trying not to gush too much but oh my gosh <laughs> as somebody who loves Forgotten Realms book favorite Forgotten Realms story ever cool so that's my opinion and, I'm, and Tracy hates it. And I don't want, hate it. <laughs> wants Eric to lose his job and never write again. That's what he's going to hear when he listens to this. I'm just saying. No, he's not. Tell <laughs> him not to listen to it. <laughs> no. So you you liked it, but thought there were a few moments where there was just a lot going on. Well, there's a lot going on, and I'll be honest, I had forgotten she was a teenager. So there were parts of the book, like after he described in the interview, why. Uh, he set things up between her and Kaylin the way he did. Mm-hmm. Like, it made sense. But when I was reading the book, I had totally forgotten she yeah. was a teenager. And it, it didn't seem clear to me in, in this novel that she was that young. Well, in, in this novel, he's I guess I feel like he's trying to make the point that she's not really that young anymore. 
Right. You know? uh, and she never really was, but mentally she she sort of was, I, I think, is what I got. But I, And I think that's fair. I think that's a fair sort of critique of, of the story. And I've rerun into this before when we've reviewed novels or done book club episodes or whatever. And I... Because I, I feel like... Interviewing authors has given me a more in-depth understanding of what they were trying to do, and, and it makes more—it makes a lot of sense, and it increases my enjoyment of it. But at the same time, um, a, a story needs to be able to stand on its own, you know. So if people are interpreting it a certain way or not understanding it without that interview, because not everybody can can have a chat with an author, you know. So right, no, yeah, yeah. So so sometimes I was getting—I was finding myself getting a little uh, angry at the way—not angry, but. Uh, the way Shadow Being was treating Mirren, mm-hmm. or like viewing Mirren, seemed infantile a little bit, like a little like she was a child. And now that I understand that she was a ch- like still kind, that's the way he saw her, right? Because she was so young, then it made sense. Mm-hmm. But when I read the book and I had forgotten how young she was, it kind of <laughs> just, it just grated on me a little mad. bit. Well, not mad, but it was you know here here she was she was. You know, as as far as she was with the the dead rats, mm-hmm. like she's got some power, dude. Why are you? Oh, okay, right, <laughs> like, sort of thing. Well, and and it's funny because both of them are. Un- <laughs> it's interesting because you hear them talk about what they're doing and why they're doing it and what their plan is and, and these machinations and manipulations they've got going on, and it gives you an idea that that these people really understand how to manipulate people and understand people. Right. And yet, they're horrible with people. Like, <laughs> like uh, sometimes they, they, they can manipulate people and get what they want, and other times they just make really stupid decisions, <laughs> you know? So, uh, it's not even j- just that they think they're good and they're not. It's just that sometimes they are good right. at dealing with these things, and sometimes they're not. And so sometimes, you know, uh, it's almost like they're both, they both need to do a little bit of growing up because they all, they all think they're much better at what they're doing than they are. Right. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> they're immature, and they need to grow up, and I think they will. Yeah, and they're still awesome. Oh yeah, and, and now I want to see. Um, I want to see now that they've sort of gotten past some of that. I want to see where it goes. Yeah. So I mean, I instantly went out as soon as I finished reading this book and bought the first one, and as soon as the next book comes out, I'll be jumping all over that too. Cool. So, there it is. Sweet. Any last thoughts? I liked it. I like Shadow Bean. He's, he is not shiny like Rhett. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and I, I found the name interesting because he's Shadow Bane sometimes and he's Kalen Dren sometimes. Right. And which one he is is actually fairly important. I like I liked the when he assumes that, uh, what's her name? Sith? Sithe? Yeah. Uh, is Shadow, and he's like, and you are Shadow, and I am Shadow Bean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's like, well, actually, I'm not Shadow. But that's okay, that was cute. <laughs> you can come online. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you you mentioned that, and and there are several times, like, I've, I've mentioned how much I love the story, right? I don't think any, yeah. I don't need a, to gush anymore. Uh, there There are times like that that I do feel like it's Batman. Like he's, or he thinks he's Batman, you know, and he's throwing out the witty one-liners and yet it doesn't really work. <laughs> you know, so Shadow Bane totally thinks he's Batman. 
and, and, and you know, he's an Avenger, right? And the Avenger class in D and D is Batman, right? So, right. so on one hand, he kind of is Batman, but he's so not Batman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he needs a utility belt. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. You hear that, Eric? In the, in the next book, he needs to have a yellow belt with a bunch of pouches on it with all, all kinds of different gadgets. <laughs> that he won't be able to feel, so he'll forget. <laughs> he won't have any idea what, what's in what because he can't feel them. <laughs> he'll just give up and throw the belt at people. <laughs> what is it with this belt? This first the sword, now the belt. <laughs> I just can't win. All right. I think it's time to go and uh, talk to uh, Eric. Yeah, definitely. All right. Off to that. So we're here with Eric Scott DeVee, author of Shadowbane, along with some other books too, right, Eric? This oh, isn't yes. your first first time. No, no. This is not my first rodeo. <laughs> it's a good rodeo, but not my first one. Yeah. Yes, my first novel, I first got into writing professionally and published novels in 2005. So I've been doing it for quite some years. And I do novels, and I do game design, and I do online interviews, things like that. You're a real pro. Thank you. Uh, now, you, this is your fourth D&D book? This would be my fourth Forgotten Realms novel. My fifth one is coming out in September. It's called Eye of Justice. It's a sequel to Shadowbane, which itself is a sequel to Downshadow. So now, in the fall, I will have had three books about the same set of characters. And I'm hoping to write more about them. We'll see. So you're hoping that uh, Shadowbane is is your drift? (laughs) Well, that's a... That's an interesting analogy. I um, I do really like the character. I really like a lot of my characters. So if a character becomes a persistent character, I'm very happy with that. Um, it's I might liken him more to him being my heir of his kale. I'd like to you know write some books about him and then ruthlessly kill him and move on to someone else. Oh, I haven't finished that series yet. Thanks, Eric. Spoilers! I mean... <laughs> Keep writing books about him forever. Wink, wink. (laughs) Thanks. Tell me about, you've written four novels now in the realms. Tell me a little bit about writing in the, in the shared setting that is the realms. Well, if you're a long-term Forgotten Realms geek and lover like I am, then it's pretty rock. (laughs) Um, You get to tell these great stories in a setting that you love um, with characters that you are really interested in learning more about um, because you learn more about them as you write about them. And they do things that are unexpected, um, even for you, the writer. And it's just, it's a very fun thing. I get to do all kinds of research and I get to hang out with other authors and pretend like they know me. It's fun. Right on. So explain sort of that... Um that process then of, of the shared setting, right? It's, it's, it's an unusual sort of thing for a writer to do. In a lot of situations, most writers um, don't write in a shared setting. You know, it's, it's, it's not common. Um, so I'm kind of curious, based off of what, I, what, what I've read in Shadowbane, you seem to take a, a little bit of a different approach than a lot of authors. And I'm cu- kind of curious to your sort of process in working in the shared setting. Mm, a different approach. What do you mean exactly, Jeff? 
Well, a lot of I mean, auth- I can guess what you mean. A lot of authors that I've that I've talked to, um, and that you know that I've read, I've read a lot of forgotten all his books, being a realms geek myself. A lot of them sort of take the approach of let's find. I'm going to find my own little corner of the realms and tell my story, and then mm-hmm. and then use that setting. You really seem to embrace all the stories that everybody else is telling. I mean, you're you're telling a story about a character in a city that is the, that is being heavily used by another author. You're using uh, language and slang and things that was brought into usage by yet another Forgotten Realms author. You're continuing on part of the threads of a storyline from a completely different Forgotten Realms author. Um, so you've really sort of embraced this idea of this shared setting being shared and not just sort of finding your own corner, but but really grabbing onto all the little threads of things that other people are doing and using them. That's a very good way to put it. Thank you for making my argument for me, Jen. <laughs> I look at the realms as a tapestry, a weave, if you will, into which I can find those little gaps, fill them with shadow, I mean story, that then I can pull my own thing together based on all these other things that I have read about and enjoyed and really admire. Um, That's kind of... I I write for Realms fans. So if you've read a lot of things in the Realms and you've played in the Realms, you're going to recognize stuff that happens in my book and hopefully you're going to go, hey, that's pretty cool. I remember where that came in. And I also try to write for people who know nothing about the realm. So the stuff is there if you know about it. But otherwise, you can gloss over it and just say, oh, all right, and then move on to the main story that emerges. Um, kind of a big example of what I was doing with this was my novel Down Shadow, which is the first about Shadowbane. It takes place in Waterdeep, which is basically the most heavily trafficked city in the realms dozens of writers have set stories there millions of characters have walked through that place and i wanted to sort of tell my own little little uh new and unique story and at the same time nod to all the other authors and all the other designers that i admired so much so there's this one scene in the book which is mostly about the character fighting his way through the criminal underworld and through parts of Undermountain and all that, where he goes into this bookshop and they're selling books that have all kinds of titles like the first and second of Shadows series and um, the Chained Man of Erlkazar, right? Which are obviously the Erebus Kale books and Master of Chains, which is the first fighter's novel and so on there are more (laughs) um my favorite one is uh let me see what did i call it adventures uh no (laughs) lascivities of a lovable lothario which is obviously elminster and it's all of ed greenwood's books about elminster and it's just kind of this rough roaring old mage character he's actually called the old mage who uh goes through and just basically magics or sleeps his way through the entire realms um much like ed's novels (laughs) so i wanted to put in those kind of like subtle homages that you would get if you had read other realm stuff but if you hadn't you just look at it and say oh that's creative or you maybe i guess you might look at it and say oh man who comes up with ideas like that (laughs) 
So yeah, I um I like being part of a community of writers and fans um, who love the realms, know things about the realms, and really care about making good stories in the realms. Isn't there like a website for that sort of thing too? Yes, Candlekeep.com. Check it out. Well, I mean there are others, but that's my favorite. Yeah. I have I like going there. Presence there. Mm-hmm. I have an ongoing thread about uh, what should be done with the realms going into fifth edition. My particular philosophy is that I think there should be no retconning, and everything should be uh, made into a single coherent story that everybody loves. And obviously, that's going to take a lot of work because some crazy things have happened. <laughs> but um, I think we could get there. I am optimistic. Can can we have one realm shaking event that brings it all together and call it Crisis on Infinite Realms? You mean Elminster wakes up <laughs> and goes into the bathroom and uh, Kelvin is in the shower? You mean? Sure, that that can be part of it. Oh, <laughs> we're not doing the Dallas thing. <laughs> Good. Um, it. It seems unlikely. The Realms is a huge panoramic landscape. No one single event is really going to turn everything perfect, right? I mean, you could you could maybe cop out and do something ridiculous, but I don't think fans are really going to embrace it. That's, that's kind of what was wrong with the Spell Plague in the first place. It's this big, huge, world-shaking event that is extremely vaguely detailed and then all of a sudden we're 100 years later and the fans of the setting who are used to this robust history and lore and and having all this knowledge are suddenly like what just happened and wizard says oh make it up yourself and they go no <laughs> <laughs> what just happened so yeah i'm I am dubious about relying too much on realm-shaking events to make everything better. I don't think that that's a really good philosophy, and I don't think that's the direction Wizards is headed. I mean, the last few years, they've written mostly small-scale stories. Uh, They're advancing the setting kind of slowly and gradually and growing it, and being, I think, respectful toward the setting, which is really good. So, moving back into conversation about the books that you've written, uh-huh. and Shadowbane specifically, um, Shadowbane feels like a one-shot story that has continuing characters. Was that sort of the idea, or did you always sort of envision it as a trilogy? I think that was sort of the idea. Um, as my editor um, presented the concept to me, uh, it was part of the Abyssal Plague series, which, for those who aren't familiar with it, is this kind of like uh, setting-spanning thing. It, there, there's stuff that happens in the core setting, um, the Nenter Vale, or whatever they whatever they call that setting exactly. Wrath. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's all very vague. Um, to Dark Sun, to Forgotten Realms, and uh, all these settings have kind of a similar event that happens and spreads the corruption of the abyss into them. And Shadowbane is one of the novels where um, the 
the corruption goes into the realms. And it kind of follows up on some of the stories from Bruce Cordell's Sword of the Gods book. So if you've read that one, you'll recognize some of the stuff that happens in Shadowbane that you wouldn't necessarily recognize as clearly uh, if you were just coming straight to the book. Um, and I think when my editor presented me the, the concept, she said, well, I really, we really like these characters that you had in Downshadow, which was well, it would be two years before the book comes out. Um, and it would be great if you would keep telling this story, but if you want to tell a story with new characters, that's totally fine, too. What we want is people to be able to come to this book without having read something previously and understand it and appreciate it. And I said, I could totally do that with my characters. So I think that if you're coming to Shadowbane not having read anything before, it's still an enjoyable, interesting story with new, hopefully compelling characters for you that you want to read more about. And you can, because there's more about them. <laughs> but if you have read my previous stuff, then Shadowbane is a great continuation of my previous stuff. And it's separated by enough time that it doesn't feel like you have to have read Down Shadow in order to understand Shadowbane. I, I actually wrote kind of a bridge... Uh, story. It's called Chosen of the Sword. It's a free PDF download. Check out my website. You can find it. Or just I will tweet it pretty soon. Um, and uh, that story is set in the kind of year gap between the two novels and sort of explains how the main character, Kalen, gets from one novel to the next. Is that the short story that's at the end of the, the novel? It is not, actually. That is another short story, which I have this tradition of writing uh, companion stories for my novels, little stories that you can read either before, after, or during the novel, and just appreciate it. It's like a little side story, uh, almost like a deleted scene. Mm -hmm. That's what the story in Shadowbane is. It's called The New Purpose. It actually takes place just before mm -hmm. Shadowbane itself does. Um, well, actually between the prologue and the first chapter. So not strictly before. But before Shadowbane himself shows up. Okay. Or maybe it's before the second chapter. Huh. No, no, I'm following. I know what you're saying. Yes. You know what I mean. I do. Yes. Okay. And, and, and for the and record... No one else does. <gasps> dun, 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 I'll have to read it. <laughs> well, hopefully they have read it. Um, Excellent. And I know... I, th I have a confession to make, Eric. Yeah. I am a big Forgotten Realms fan, and this is the first one of your novels I've read. That's okay. And, I do not judge you for it. And, and having, I do. And having finished it, I immediately went out and bought Downshadow, because I want to know more about the characters. That doesn't sound like a confession. That sounds like a compliment. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jeff, uh, I appreciate your support. That said, uh, which characters... I, I mean, obviously, Mirren and um, Kaelin... Are, are brought over from Downshadow into Shadowbane. Are there any other characters that are brought in? I, I assume some of the, the guards and things we, we see, uh, and I mentioned by name in, like, what, Chapter 1, are, are brought over, but I don't actually know that because I haven't read, so... Um, one of the, also, one of the things my editor was uh, pretty keen on was avoiding bringing over too many characters. Mm -hmm. She said... You can take like two characters. You could take like Kaylin and Mirren. And I'm like, okay. Can I make cameos of other characters? Said, That's okay. 
brief cameos. So Shadowbane Erezra appears. She's one of the guards' women. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has kind of a cameo in Shadowbane. They mention a couple of other characters from Down Shadow. And um, the uh, there's one particular kind of secretive character who shows up toward the end of Shadowbane. Um, there's a lot of Jeff will know who I'm talking about, but I want to make I want to avoid spoilers here. Um, people are very interested in finding this guy, and then he eventually does show himself, and he's a character who also appeared in Down Shadow. And, and if you want to avoid spoilers, that's fine. Um, be aware, we don't bother to avoid spoilers on book club episodes. We assume okay. on a book club, is, people have people have read the book, and if they haven't, they okay. don't mind being spoiled. Great. His name's Lilton. He's a sun elf, and he's extremely powerful. <laughs> yeah, he uh, also shows up in Down Shadow. He is Thane's patron. So she spends the book kind of like working for somebody. It's him. And he seems to and be... And he will in, reappear in Eye of Justice as well. And it seems like he's... Thane's man- a character in Down Shadow. Okay, and it seems like he's manipulating a lot of the things going on in Luskin in Shadowbane as well. Oh yeah, he's he's manipulating some of it. Mostly, it's just to knock things out of his way. But mm-hmm. also, um, a minor spoiler from Shadowbane, I suppose, is that he is a very powerful, potent religious figure to um, worshippers of Tamora and Bashaba and Erevan, Elessera. We're all gods of trickery and mischief, and uh, so. Lilton is a character that likes mischief. And so he, he often gets kind of caught up in doing things that will drive people crazy just because it amuses him. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and he, he also comes off as, for being somebody who's all about trickery and mischief, he also comes off very, very honest. You know, in, in an almost whimsical he way. In, he in, doesn't lie if he doesn't have to. Right. I mean, to the point that somebody just sort of in passing mentions, you know, what, what about our friend? And he said, no, 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 be, be clear here. I am not your friend. <laughs> we are at like purposes right now. But, but, you know, but he's very honest and makes a point to correct them on, I'm not your friend. I think that scene is very telling mm-hmm. about his character. I, I, I found it that way as well, in a way that I thought was really well done. Thank you. It sort of grabbed grabbed who he is, all sort of, in, and who he's going to be, all in, in one scene together. That was totally what I was going for. <laughs> well, good. It did. It did feel like um, we spent much of the book sort of building a party, mm-hmm. um, and then just when I thought we were sort of starting to form parties, people go away and or people die. Yeah, I uh, I do kill people. Why don't you like parties? <laughs> wow good question very sharp Jeff um, okay so the history of me writing parties with the realms um, the only book that I really wrote a really strong adventuring party was Depths of Madness which is my second realms novel and this is one of those books that is a little bit divided in terms of whether people really love it or really dislike it. And it, because it's, it's very much a, a dungeon crawl sort of gamey novel mm. that isn't really my standard kind of style. Um, 
But basically, there was an adventuring party that was thrust together at the beginning, and then they were pretty much coherent throughout the book, except for all those people dying. Because I think the body count in that novel was huge. <laughs> um, and and since then, I've kind of avoided the uh, the too much concept of the adventuring party. Although I would indeed love to write a novel about a long-term adventuring party people who've been together for a very long time and have their own you know secrets and their own uh, alliances and their and all those things but um i see people as being separate and then coming together rather than um just being together and then staying together mm-hmm. so if, i think if i wrote about a party i would end up breaking them up Rather than putting them together. Well, it's kind of funny. If I wrote about individuals. I kind of thought you were going to go that way for a while with a rat, right? I, I, I felt like you sort of introduced him. He was part of the party for a while, and then he went away and didn't come back for the rest of the book. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe he'll come back in a future book and join the party. And then you kind of tell us that's not going to happen. Well, maybe. Although we don't really see a body, so maybe... <laughs> There's trickery involved. This is one of the things that you need to keep in mind. Stephen Chen told me this a long time ago. If you don't have a body, person's not dead. I thought of that, too. Even if you have a body, sometimes not sure. Yeah, it is also true. It, it is a fantasy <laughs> world, and people come back from the dead on a fairly regular basis. So, uh, Rhett will be very relevant in Eye of Justice. A lot of the book is devoted to the search for Rhett, either actually rescuing him or just finding out what happened to him. Okay. Which seems to make sense given the the title of the book and where he went. Yep. Westgate. Yeah. It's going to (laughs) be fun. (laughs) And how far along are you in that book now? That book is currently in the hands of the copy editors. I will get one more chance to look it over for last minute fixes, but otherwise it's done. Right on. Well, if you need another editor, just send it along. I'll look it over. Okay. I'll keep that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. I was going to ask something. Tracy, go ahead and, and talk for a second. I don't know what to say. Other than, does Rhett grow up? I want Rhett to grow up. <laughs> does Rhett grow up? Does he stop being a little kid? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, I... I've identified this thing about my writing, which is a little annoying, actually. Mm-hmm. When I t- when I write good people, I I think what I'm really doing is writing naive people, <laughs> which is which is very cynical of me. <laughs> but Rhett's a good person. Mirren's a good person. Kalen, not so much, right? Right. Um, but when I when I wrote Down Shadow. I had Mirren show up, and she's basically an amnesiac teenage girl mm-hmm. with magic powers, right? And I wrote her that way purposefully because that's what was going on. She had no memory, and she was lost in this place. She got rescued by this guy that she immediately had a major crush on. Right. Why wouldn't you? Because he's awesome. <laughs> um, but then when, the I went into, <laughs> when I went into Shadowbane, it was a year later... And the editor was very much like, we really like the Kalen and Mirren story. Um, we want you to develop this with these characters. And I said, um, I'm a little uncomfortable with the concept of doing it 
a kind of a romance story between this guy who's a very grim, set in his way sort of adventurer guy, and this you know amnesiac teenage girl with a crush on him. <laughs> right. Like that doesn't seem very equitable. So Shadowbane, I made a purposeful effort to develop Mirren into um, a much more mature, robust sort of character, mm-hmm. rather than her kind of wishy-washy self that she is in Downshadow. And I think it came off pretty well. Like I'm, I'm very happy with how she turned out. And in Eye of Justice, she gets even better. So I sort of feel like, in terms of, of character development, the whole or part of the whole point of this book is Mirren just sort of screaming at Kaylin, look, I'm grown up. You know, <laughs> trust me, I know what I'm doing. Yeah. Well, and then she and then she proves it. Right. Numerous times. There's this one great scene toward the end of the book uh, where she's fighting with the coin priest. Right? Mm-hmm. They have this one-on-one duel. It's Mirren against this um, pretty experienced, pretty powerful very ruthless gang leader priest priestess right who pounds on her with her mace and absorbs her magic and just beats the living hell out of Mirren and yet Mirren still kind of rises to the occasion and defeats her which is I, you know it's kind of my moment of saying you know what Mirren is on the same level as Kaelin at this point like they are suitably matched as partners whether that means romantically or not, but they're on a level playing field in terms of being adventurers. And I I don't want to spoil Eye of Justice because you haven't read it, because no one's read it except me and <laughs> my editor and a few first reader type people. Um, but I, I guess what I'll say is that if I were to use Rhett as a character... I would make him blossom into his own character in that same way. Right? Cool. Yeah. So either he's dead and he's just a naive little boy who got killed in this process, which. I've got a sword! Yeah. Based on my writing and my history, never really happens. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Or he grows to be his own badass sort of character. Cool. Speaking of badass characters, Mm -hmm. Sithy. That's how I pronounce it or in my head, anyway. Okay. I pronounce her name Sitha. Sitha? I've heard some people pronounce it Scythe. Okay, well... Yes. She's a Sharon. Yep. Shar is... No, well, she might be reformed. Well, not really reformed. She might be a lapsed Sharon. Well, she refers to herself pretty regularly as a destroyer for the gods, right? Yep. Uh, and, and so, in any case... <laughs> she, she she seems to be a, uh, for most of the book she seems to be a servant of Shar at least in name but Shar is particularly evil and yes very much so the goddess of entropy and destruction sort of and uh, whispers and secrets right yeah, but she evil. but she doesn't necessarily seem to be as evil well she comes off a little more neutral to me she just doesn't care mm-hmm. well you see um, Sitha. Uh, is an Avenger, which is a uh, class in 4th edition. It's kind of like... It was originally going to be called the Templar, right? It's sort of a a hardcore servant of the gods, smiter of the gods. Not really a paladin. Paladins you associate with being, you know, good, even though in 4th edition they don't technically have to be good. I still consider that paladins have to be good. 
so Shadowbane is still trying to be good, right? <laughs> but Sitha is an Avenger. Um, she sheds that morality in order to do the pragmatic and, you know, oftentimes really hardcore stuff that she has to do to serve her deity. And um, one of the things about that class, it specifies that uh, over the time, because they're engaged in such grim work, uh, they lose that kind of moral certainty, black and white. And the concept with Sitha is that she would have originally been an evil Sharon, right? But she's coming to neutrality from the other direction. We have all kinds of stories about good people who become neutral when they realize that good is dumb. <laughs> okay, that's not really strictly what I mean, but you know, like the world kind of presses on you, mm -hmm. and some people can't really handle the pressure, and they, they shift into this kind of neutral frame of mind. Um, Sitha, on the other hand, goes from being this evil religious uh, zealot. I mean, you can imagine, it's not specifically stated, and realizes that evil's not all it's cracked up to be, and she becomes this kind of unaligned, neutralish sort of character. So that was kind of where I was going with that. It's an expression of what happens when an evil person becomes neutral versus what happens when a good person becomes neutral. Interesting. I'd almost be interested to catch more of her story, but it doesn't look like that we're likely to see that opportunity. Although... Yeah. You never we don't. Know. We, we don't have a body, and and That's you correct. And, and they do specific. In, in, in her case, I mean, they sort of when they find out about Rhett, they sort of work on the assumption. It seems like, oh, darn, he's dead, and I'm angry about it. When she's gone, like they instantly go to the. Well, that was a noble sacrifice, but she could still be out there. Like they instantly go to that place. <laughs> well, um, what I was going after at the end here. Um, and you saying that kind of solidified it in my mind. I think I had been doing it sort of subconsciously. Is that when Rhett disappears, Kalen is certain that he's dead. But mm -hmm. Mirren is certain that he's alive and just being kept captive somewhere. And they need to go rescue him. But when Sitha disappears, Kalen is certain that she's going to come back. But Mirren understands that she's dead. And I think that that's a little bit telling in how they look at those at those characters and those philosophies. Um, because throughout the book, Sitha was kind of cast in this role as Kalen's teacher, and she, you know, inspired him to uh, kind of let go of some of his hangups and embrace some of his inner darkness. And his refusal to accept that she might be gone is sort of his difficulty in understanding how that philosophy loses, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how can, how can Sitha, who has come off to him as this, as this great, powerful teacher, how could she really be gone, right? Mm -hmm. But with Mirren, on the other hand, subconsciously, Rhett must still be alive, because how could goodness um, just die so ignominiously like that? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I think that's where I was going. You, you mentioned um, a few times that Sitha is a is an Avenger. Um, I'm kind of curious in game terms where you see um, Kalen. Uh, having not read the Downshadow, 
I well, this, is a great, this is a great story okay. that you've launched me onto. Excellent. Jeff. Go for it. <laughs> so, when I was writing down Shadow, um, fourth edition had not come out yet. Didn't even have the player's handbook. We didn't even have a codified set of rules that my editor could send to me. She said, well, just do your best. And I'm like, okay, well... So I took this concept from 3.5 that I really, really love, which was Shadowbane Inquisitor, which is where the name comes from. It's a rogue become paladin, basically. So uh, you, you use roguish abilities to smite evil. Okay? And over time... Uh, your morality lapses a little bit and you can use your smite abilities against things that are not evil. Right. You are the arbiter of morality, which I thought was really neat. So I said, I want to make a character like that. And my editor's like, okay, go for it. So I have this vigilante paladin who used to be a thief and has now become, you know, this knight in shining armor paladin sort of guy. But I didn't want him to have armor, so he has, you know, um, dark, boiled leather, studded leather armor. And he fights in this kind of acrobatic way that you would expect a thief to fight like. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I wrote this whole book, and I, I send it off to my editor, and um, I get it back to do the final draft. One week before my final draft is due, fourth edition finally comes out. Okay. I finally get the player's handbook. I, I open it up. I look at how defenses are structured, as in... Paladin needs to wear heavy armor, or he's dumb. <laughs> I look at how sneak attack works, as in you have to do it with a light blade, you can't do it with a you know bastard sword, which you couldn't three five. Oh man! Um, and I, I look at how you get lay on hands, which he does several times throughout the course of Down Shadow, and you can only get that if you're a paladin. And I'm like, uh oh. So I, I don't really have a great mechanical build for this guy i hope it'll be okay so i made i made a few little changes throughout the book so i think he comes across as a paladin multi-classed into a rogue i think he comes across that way in down shadow um and then there was there was a while after down shadow in which i wrote like some more short stories and some things outside of wizards and then they said okay so we want you to write this the shadow bane novel I'm like, okay, that sounds good. And I look at what the mechanics are now in um, in 4th edition, mm-hmm. and I see that there's the Avenger. And I'm like, oh my gosh, why couldn't this have come out at first? Because this is what Kalen is. Mm-hmm. right? He's a dexterity-based, wisdom-based, avenging assassin of the gods. That's what he should be. So Shadowbane is sort of my process of showing him turning from a paladin into an avenger. And um, Sitha was sort of my one of my tools to have that happen, because she's obviously an avenger. Mm-hmm. When she meets Caitlin, he's basically a paladin. And she's like, no, 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 no. This is not what you are. You are not a defender. You are a destroyer. And he spends a <laughs> long time being unable to accept this. It's 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 almost it's 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 almost her in game terms saying you're a striker you're not a defender, right? Okay, (laughs) and uh, and then by the end of the novel he finally comes to terms with that and unlocks this great power within himself that he never even suspected existed. So yes, so at the end of Shadowbane, he is an Avenger. 
Right on. Yeah, and that that was the impression I got. At the beginning of Shadowban, I felt like he was a fallen paladin, and by the end of it, I felt like, oh, no, wait, he, he's an Avenger all along. So now I find out that you, you are actually telling the story of how he went from one to the other. Yep. That's what I was doing. And uh, in in Down Shadow, when you read it, you will see, there's actually a uh, a long stretch of the book where he he makes a mistake, like he breaks his vows and then loses his paladin powers. Not that that's in the 4th edition mechanics. That, mm-hmm. that can't happen in 4th edition. But, I mean, there's this long tradition in paladins that this is what happens to them. And so... I played that up in the novel, too. And I'll have you know, this is a game with a dungeon master, and as long as the game has a dungeon master, these things can happen. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so. so, yeah. And, and I, I want to... This gets to my core philosophy about writing game-related um, novels, is that, yes, I want to honor the mechanics that are there, and I want the, game, the novel to be expressible in those mechanics. But at the same time... You need to do things for story and for narration that are a little outside the mold. Mm-hmm. And you as a DM are empowered to do that sort of thing. So if you you know, have a guy who's playing a paladin and you're just like, no, no, the things that you're doing are just not in keeping with your alignment and you're breaking your vows, I'm going to take all your powers away from you until you atone or forever. And you should you should feel free to do that. I like to think of myself as kind of a on the DM side mm-hmm. when it comes to empowering uh, DMs to do cool things. Right on. So I'm uh, as we get, reach the end, towards the end of our uh, interview here with you, mm-hmm. and you're working on the final bits of the next book in the series. Yes, I, that's I, correct. I, does the next book... Can I expect the, the story of Mirren to sort of reach a, a climax in the next book? Uh, climax or development? Probably more like it um, It gets developed a lot more. I don't think it reaches a climax exactly. The climax... Well, hmm, character stories are ongoing. Mm-hmm. If I wanted to come... If I wanted to, to build a character whose story had a climax and that was the end, that's the end of the character. The character then has no more meaning for me. Sure. I mean, I, I guess I could throw another angle at him. I could kidnap the kids, whatever. But I think that characters don't just start and then end. Because life isn't like that. Life goes on after big moments in your in your adventuring career. So I like to write about an ongoing story. Mm-hmm. So Mirren's story will definitely have huge peaks. And I have just this, um, I think Down Shadow was basically 90% about Kalen and 10% about Mirren. And Shadowbane is about 80% about Kalen or 70% about Kalen and 30% about Mirren. But in Eye of Justice, it becomes almost equal that half the story is about him and his arc and half the story is about her and discovering more about her past. She learns a lot more about her past than I have justice. Excellent. I, I sort of f- feel like there's a there's a story happening with her that is a story of the the larger realms. Yes. And, and I have a guess as to where it's going. There's sort of an uh, I, I think a, a good hint or a good good road that she's on 
that that, uh, that indicate or foreshadow where where she's going as a character. You didn't even read Downshadow where Fane called her a goddess. <laughs> I, I haven't. <laughs> anyway. But that said, m- one of my favorite sto- type of stories to read in the realms are stories that deal with the gods. And on all angles, your, your characters and your stories do. I mean, they grab onto that, and I think that's one of the more evocative things about the setting that you've grabbed onto. Thank you. Um, and I try... I, I really like the gods and the pantheon and the realms and... Um, I'm not a huge fan of all the day aside, obviously, because I'm trying to bring back Helm. I mean, it's obvious, right? Obvious. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> surprising anybody by saying, "Oh, Helm's important." Hmm. Uh, but yeah, I I really like stories that have to do with the gods. I don't, and I, suspe- um, I necessarily suspect, I suspect, want to go to. I suspect I don't necessarily oh, want to go to stories where the gods appear in person mm-hmm. and do things, because that's taking an extra step that I don't necessarily really want to do. Certain people pull it off very well. I right. thought uh, the way Paul had Mask show up that one time. But that might be a spoiler for you. Anyway, that's very good. <laughs> and I suspect that Helm is not the only god whose importance, only the only dead god whose importance uh, you're working towards. Oh, no. Um, Shadowbane itself mentioned uh, Lyra. Who's the you know mm-hmm. the goddess of mysteries and illusion? Who's been dead since the time of troubles? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was around in the first edition, but she's mentioned in my book. <laughs> and, and of course, so. Mira's heavily uh, peaked in the story of Mistra, who's dead as of fourth edition. Yep. So yeah, well, Ed's doing something about that, so we'll see. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Ooh, I didn't think about I, that. And I'm saying something. I don't know what. <laughs> I've asked him, and he's like, "You'll see." I'm like, okay, so yeah, there's something going on, and you, and you never know with Ed. Yeah, Two, in 2008, I interviewed him, and we talked about the fourth edition version of the realms because it was all sort of new and shiny and everything. Then we were trying to piece it all together and figure it out. And he very consistently during the interview refused to refer to her as dead, and just constantly, yeah. constantly referred to her as vanished, Mister, vanished, Mister. Well, over I am not convinced that she's dead either. I mean, we don't know that for certain. Well, we just know that that is what it appears to have happened. Ha- having read Ed's novels, his more recent novels, um, I- I'm I'm pretty firmly in that boat as well. So. Hmm? Ed and I have discussed Mirren briefly. Okay. I won't say in what regard, just mm-hmm. that we have. Well, absolutely, because I could see... What he's doing with his current story arc and what you're doing with Mirren um, could intersect. It's possible. So you never know. We'll see what happens. I mean, and I don't really know all that much more than anyone else. So I I look forward to being as surprised about cool things that happen in the realms as anyone else. And if it does intersect, I imagine you will handle it fantastically because that is the uh, experience I've had reading this book is that you handle the setting very well and handle what other people are doing. And I thank you for it, sir. Well, I'm I'm very glad. That is uh, <laughs> that makes me very happy to hear cuz I've been playing in the realms for such a long time and I really really love it. I mean, I I wouldn't do this job for the money cuz if anyone is gonna, if anyone out there wants to write for the money, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> you do it because you love what you're doing. It's like teaching. I'm a, yeah. I'm a teacher. You don't go into teaching for the money either. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, great. Uh, Tracy, you have any uh, last questions, or should we let Eric go and then we can talk about him behind his back? 
We can talk about him behind his back. Eric, thank you for joining us once again. You're very welcome, sir. Anytime. And when uh, Eye of Justice comes out, we'll have to uh, add that onto the the book list as well and uh, chat with you again then. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right. Thank you much, and goodbye. Talk to you later. Hello out there in podcast land. This is Jeff, the other Jeff, not to be confused with your host, Jeff Greiner. And in this section of the show, I will be reviewing uh, novels that I have read that are of interest to gamers. Uh, Most of the time, these will be Dungeons & Dragons branded novels, uh, Forgotten Realms, Eberron, and Dark Sun. But from time to time, I will also review other fantasy novels from uh, other publishers uh, that I have read that may be of interest to you, the Dungeons & Dragons player. Today, I will be reviewing the series The Brotherhood of the Griffin by Richard Lee Byers. Uh, To date, this series includes uh, The the Captive Flame, which was published in May 2010, Whispers of Venom, published in November 2010, and The Spectral Blaze, which was published in June 2011. Um, I initially thought this was going to be a trilogy, uh, but uh, recently a fourth novel was announced, the, uh, The Masked Witches, which is actually coming out this month, February. Uh, but since uh, the first three books covers one story arc, I'm, I'm treating them as one trilogy. Richard Lee Byers previously wrote uh, the Haunted Lands trilogy and the Year of Rogue Dragons trilogy, both set in the Forgotten Realms. Uh, I was not familiar with either of those series before I read The Brotherhood of the Griffin. Um, I, I knew a little bit about um, The Rage of Dragons, because it was a big event in Forgotten Realms, and uh, people were, were talking about it. Uh, but both of those series seem to come together, actually, uh, in this series, The Brotherhood of the Griffin. Uh, the plot is... Uh, this is, this is uh, post-Spell Plague Forgotten Realms, and The Brotherhood of the Griffin is a mercenary band that has recently suffered a series of embarrassing defeats. And currently they are trying to regain their reputation by fighting for Chisenta. Now, I, I, I want to point out that I am approaching this series as someone who is um, not, not all that knowledgeable about uh, Forgotten Realms. I have a smattering of, of knowledge uh, from reading other books, but uh, Chisenta and uh, the nearby region is is a, is a pretty is is untouched uh, territory for me. So this was this was um, this was this was interesting to to get to explore this area of the Forgotten Realms after spending uh, most of my time in uh, Shadowdale and Waterdeep and and those areas. Um, so this this series uh, had uh, after after a rather slow start, uh, it 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 got interesting later on. Uh, it it opens with a scene in uh, Mergholm, which is apparently this uh, nation that's ruled by 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 dragons, and um, 
in the in the opening scene this vampiric smoke dragon named uh, Brimstone shows up and uh, I, I I looked him up and apparently he was an important figure in the Rage of Dragons and everyone thought that he was dead. Uh, so he he shows up and announces that he's not dead, and um, he's he's apparently plotting something, but we don't find out what he's plotting uh, until much much later in the series. Uh, and then it quickly shifts to uh, the city of Luthchek, which is the capital of Chisenta, and a dragonborn paladin uh, named Dardendrian Medrash is uh, investigating uh, what's, what's come to be known as the Green Hand Murders. This mysterious killer has been killing mages and, and leaving the mark of a, of a green hand at the site, at the site of, his, of his killings. Uh, so that's, that's, those scenes are both in the forward before we even get to, get to chapter one and start to meet our main characters. So right, right off the bat as, as someone who was not, uh, intimately familiar with Forgotten Realms, I was, I was a bit thrown off by the, by the Mergholm scene, which, um, seemed, seemed like it, it drew upon, uh, a lot of, uh, Forgotten Realms lore that I I was un, unfamiliar with, uh, but I was undeterred, and I I kept on reading, and the series once this once the series took off once the plot t- took off it became a lot more um, enjoyable. We are quickly introduced to our main characters. Uh, this this book has a lot of characters. It's it's it concerns a a uh, mercenary band. Uh, which which has a few core members and and they continually pick up uh, more characters as the story progresses. I'm not going to talk about every character, uh, but we are quickly introduced to uh, Aoth Fazim, who is the leader of the Brotherhood of of, of the Griffin. And uh, from what I understand, he he's a character that has appeared in in Byers. Uh, previous stories. I think he was part of the Haunted Lands because it it mentions a a campaign uh, that he undertook in in Thay. Um, but I think I think the Haunted Lands is is pre Spell Plague and this is post Spell Plague. This this is a hundred years later. Uh, Aoth is spell touched. Uh, he he doesn't age, and apparently his uh, being being plague touched or spell touched or whatever you want to call it uh it 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 keeps him from from aging and it gives him a special sight that allows him to uh see see things in in many different ways he can he can see things that are invisible he can see past illusions uh it's it, it really really allows him him to he 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 really has a miraculous eyesight um, he he's a war mage. His familiar is is his griffin that that he rides into battle with with the other griffin riders. Uh, he fights with it with a spear, which shoots lightning. <coughs> um, he's he's definitely an an all around you know uh, captain type type figure. Uh, he he's generally good, upright, makes right decisions. Uh, he, he's pretty bland, 
as as a hero, uh, I, I get the feeling that his story was largely told before, and uh, he's just continuing his his career here. Uh, mo- most of the characters are while they're while they're pretty solid, they're they're generally uh, one note characters. Uh, you've you've got the uh, sneering uh, Bowman who hits on on all the women. Uh, you've got uh, the necromancer chick who's always talking about her her friends who are the dead people. Uh, I mean, g- g- generally likable characters, but not very deep. Uh, the one character that that stood out um, is Jezri Cold Creek. Uh, the she she's an elemental mage. We're introduced to her fairly quickly. Uh, she's a member of the Brotherhood of the Griffin. Her her backstory is that although she was she was born in Luthchek, uh in Chisenta, uh, Chisentans are very prejudiced against mages, and and her family kind of sold her into slavery uh, when they found out she had magical powers, and she was uh, actually sexually ab- sexually abused by uh, ogre mages. Uh, which sort of left mental scars on her, and uh, now she has a phobia about the touch of really any any humanoid. She she can't touch people, or or she gets physically ill. I f- I found her to be the most uh, human and the most interesting of of the characters, uh, the most uh, three three dimensional. Uh, the third main character uh, that I want to talk about is uh, Medrash. Uh, he's a he's a dragonborn paladin of Torm who we're, who we're introduced to in the prologue, and he gets he he's not a, a member of of the Brotherhood, but he he gets gets involved with with the Brotherhood because initially uh, the Brotherhood is in, investigating these uh, Green Hand uh, murders. So he's he's a paladin, which is where we're given to understand is very unusual for dragonborn. Uh, and yet he he also hates dragons because every dragonborn hates dragons. Uh, and late, later on in the story, he, he he encounters a group of dragonborn who are worshiping uh, Bahamut, who even, even though Bahamut's a lawful good deity, uh, Medras has has some prejudice against this group because Bahamut is also a dragon. So. It's it's a bit ironic that while Medrash is kind of uh, looked at sideways by by his own people for uh, embracing gods, which the Dragonborn don't really do, uh, Medrash is looking is himself looking down his nose at this other group of Dragonborn b- because they are worshiping dragons. There, there there seems there seems to be a, a a theme in this series of groups that have an irrational hatred towards other groups. Uh, Jacentans hate hate mages. Dragonborn hate hate dragons. Uh, there's the um, uh, Ganassi who hate dragonborn. I, I mean, there's there's just all sorts of there's this this region of the world seems seems to be a a kettle of groups that don't really like each other. And while it seems like it should be poignant and topical, it just ends up being annoying because it's all kind of silly and pointless. So that's really uh, the main three heroes of the series. Uh, there are a lot of minor characters that I don't really have time time to talk about. 
most of the characters, like I said, are they're 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 fun, they're likable. Uh, Byers has a tendency to fall back on uh, these little uh, romantic subplots whenever it the, the book is going slow or it seems like he's stuck for ideas. And by by the end of the series, uh, it seems like almost almost every character has has found uh, some kind of uh, romantic. And entanglement, uh, and um, most of, most of them are worthy characters in their in their own right. Um, Aoth uh, has a relationship with a cleric uh, of of uh, Monitor, who who proves to be uh, pretty powerful and resourceful. Um, but it 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 does sort of seem kind of kind of funny that uh, in the in the midst of uh, this. Incredibly serious and 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 complex plot. Uh, there's there's all these uh, little uh, uh, romantic trysts taking place. The villains, for the most part, are dragons, uh, and there there there's a couple. There there's not really one villain that I would say is the main villain. Uh, we're introduced pretty quickly to Brimstone uh, from the Rage of Dragons, who's it's I I think it's safe to say is behind everything, uh, but he's not really involved for most of the series. Uh, there's Alaskler Banbastos, who is a blue dracolich and is the ruler of the nation of Threskel. Uh, one minor but noteworthy villain is Halonia, the uh, erstwhile cleric of Chizar. Uh, not not really a villain, more like a nuisance, and she gets pretty annoying by the end. Uh, the the other major villain in the series, I I can't reveal because his identity is not revealed until uh, the end of book one, start of book two. Uh, but he's he's a major villain, and he's a bad guy. I I. He he, he's a terrible, no good, very bad guy, and uh, reading about him gave gave me chills. Uh, so that's good. I enjoy a good villain. So overall, the plot is fairly complex. It's epic in its scope, uh, and in the power level of its of its of of the heroes and and villains. I mean, we're talking about. Dragons here. We're talking about very powerful, high-level heroes. Uh, the plot involves war, conspiracy, uh, intrigue, dragons, politics, and a game of Zorvental. Which, if you don't know what Zorvental is, you will be familiar with it by the end of the series. One very interesting. Very, one very interesting thing about the plot, and I don't know if this is good or bad, in, in, in terms of how this novel interacts with the Forgotten Realm setting, uh, you will find that by the end of book three, um, all the toys have been put back in the box, as it were. By which I mean that you can, you can run your home Forgotten Realms campaign as if this story never happened. This this makes it great for setting purists who who don't want to worry about novels uh, overcomplicating their setting, but I'm not so sure that it 
is good for the story itself because you're sort of I I was sort of left feeling like why did this even happen? However, uh, despite its flaws, I found the Brotherhood of the Griffin to be very enjoyable and a good read. Uh, I'm not sure yet if I'll pick up the fourth book, The Masked Witches. Um, I'm probably going to wait to see if it becomes another trilogy or if it's the last book of the series. Uh, but I would I would recommend The Brotherhood of the Griffin to any any Forgotten Realms fan or any Dungeons and Dragons fan. Okay, that's my review. Uh, hopefully there will be more like it whenever I read something and feel like sharing it with you. And now, back to your regular hosts, Jeff Greiner and or Tracy Hurley. All right, and that was Eric Scott DeBe, author of Shadowbane, and look for his upcoming book, Eye of Justice, if I'm remembering correctly. Does that sound right? Yeah, sounds right. Excellent. Uh, so, there it is, and that was a good time. Definitely. So, uh, so thanks for listening to the episode. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns... Uh, anything at all, really, you can contact us, email tomeshow at gmail.com. Go to the forum, forums at gamershavenpodcast.com or call in our biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. That's right. And if you have concerns, you can actually go over and send those to Tracy directly. <laughs> I just want to hear your comments and questions. <laughs> the concerns. Sounds like Tracy's giggling too much on this episode. Can we please stop that? Most of the concerns I've gotten recently are that you don't talk enough. Oh, I see. Which, I'll try to talk more. <laughs> which you've done fabulously for our conversation. You should have. You should. You should have asked some questions during the interview too. Um. Well. Just saying. Just Eric's special like that. Because <laughs> because he gets you all shy. <gasps> what? You didn't get to talk that much either. <laughs> hey, are you, are you are you saying that Eric is long winded? No, I'm saying I found Eric be, has I found a lot of information right. that he needs to get out, and I love listening to him letting it out. Maybe it's a just, maybe it's a realms thing. Yeah, I just get dazzled by it. Because I don't know if you've noticed, but but when I've when we've interviewed Ed Greenwood. Yeah, you can get like an hour long interview and only ask him four questions because <laughs> because the guy can talk and he will go and go and it's fantastic and I and he's got a great voice and so when he gets going I just sit back and and listen. Yeah, and, and that's totally what what happens with me is that I I need to learn this stuff and I like and I enjoy learning it and Eric and Ed are both great people to learn from so I just sit back and I listen to them and I just absorb it. All right, well, in the next episode that we're going to record next week uh, on Heroes of the Elemental Chaos, which dun, dun, dun. by the time people are hearing this, we'll have already recorded it um, because I'm doing all the editing right now because Sam is off getting a job. Good luck to him. Everybody say good luck to good Sam. Good luck. Good luck. Um, so I'm doing all the editing, and we've already got two in the can, and now we'll have three in the can and not none of them released. So i got a lot of work to do to get caught up. So. Uh, it'll be a while before people hear this and then the Heroes of the Elemental Chaos, but it is coming up as well. And I'm going to make Tracy lead that episode. I've just decided right here and right now. Woohoo! So I'm just going to be sitting in the background and you're going to ask all the questions. You're going to do, you're going to guide the whole conversation. I'm going to guide the whole conversation. Okay. Yeah. Take it, take it on. I will. And people are going to leave all kinds of fabulous comments over at the website where when they read our show notes at the See how I got that back on script? 
Mm-hmm. You got see you should be taking notes. I am. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, that has been Shadow Bane. The uh, don't take note of that. <laughs> like I was saying, um, that's the Shadow Bane episode of the Tome Show Book Club for February 2012. Join us next time as we discuss Brimstone Angels, and we will be going live again. And I'm sure we'll be chatting with uh, author Aaron Evans. She already t- yeah. She already tweeted about it. Woo-hoo. And then once we get rid of you, then we can talk about you behind your back about what we actually think about the book. Naturally. So, of course, since we're broadcasting live, you could, I suppose, just hop on the the live broadcast and actually hear what we're saying about you and taunt us in the chat room, but... I could do that. I don't know that I would encourage it. I'm going to say lots Mm -hmm. of mean, mean things about you. No, no, no. I just work some dark magic and, you know, curse you guys. That's all. Yeah, it's no big deal. Just, what's another curse? Yeah. yeah. Minus two on attack rolls. <laughs> um, no, I was just answering your question. <laughs> <laughs>